when I was a kid growing up, we used to we used to play this game called King of the Hill. Do y'all do y'all remember that game, King of the Hill? Yeah. So we'd run outside, find the nearest uh, dirt mound or tree stump or rock, wh- whatever it was, whatever it was that we could climb on, and uh, the first kid on top of the dirt pile or stump or rock or whatever it was, uh, they'd get up and and they'd yell, I'm king of the hill. And then the task, the game of everybody else was to charge after this kid and try to dethrone the king by pushing or pulling him or her off. You see, we all wanted to take over that hill and, and claim it as our own, our own little kingdom. And you know, each each attack that we had was was sort of like this unspoken thing. It, it was like sort of unspoken that we were demanding proof in some way. Like, okay, if you're king, show us. <laughs> show us how strong you are. If you're, if you're king, show us that you can defend your kingdom. Show us that you can defend yourself from this attack. Because each one of us, we wanted that spot. It was a great game. It was a lot of fun. We had a blast playing it until uh, one day we uh, we did dethrone a kid who was king and ended up breaking his arm, and that was the end of King of the Hill for recess uh, for us. But the other problem was that, you see, the kids, they ended up growing up, but they never stopped playing the game. Kids grew up, but they never stopped playing this game of King of the Hill. And, and we, we became adults, but we kept playing the game. It's just that it looks a little bit different now, that, that our, our dirt piles now look like success or money, maybe power or control or reputation or popularity. For some, the, the dirt pile is, is this like fairy tale idea of life that if we can just keep up with the Joneses, all will be well. All the while, we're crippled by our own debt. Others climb dirt piles of, of being, being right or being holy and pious. I mean, our nation or, or even, even our church have become king of the hill type of playgrounds. You see, there's, there's all sorts of kingdoms. Each one of us can probably name a dirt pile in our lives that we've been trying to control our sovereignty over it, where we've been trying to declare and proclaim that we are the king or the queen of, of this hill. See, the adult version of this game, King of the Hill, is, is about fulfilling an emptiness. It's not just a game anymore. It's about trying to fulfill an emptiness. Or, or maybe it's fighting, fighting against a, a fear. Or, or maybe it, it's trying to just establish some sort of order or control of our lives or this world that is so chaotic at times. For many of us, it's, it's, it's just kind of constant scrambling to establish and maintain our own little kingdoms, to try to convince ourselves as much as possible and maybe convince others that everything's all right. We're all right. We have it under control. We are the king or the queen here. And really what it comes down to is, is a desire for, for this, a desire for autonomy, 
autonomy is, is this desire of, of self-governing or this self-directed freedom that I want to do what I want to do, when I want to do it, with whom I want to do it, without anybody ever telling me what to do. Sounds pretty nice, right? <laughs> that I have total freedom over my lives and I get to do what I want to do. Remember when you were a kid growing up and you just couldn't wait to become an adult? Because you, you thought that with adulthood came this just boundless freedom, that, that when I grow up, nobody will be able to tell me what to do. I'll be able to do whatever I want to do, only to then reach adulthood and realize that you are much freer as a kid than you are now because you didn't have things like bills. <laughs> your own kids, <laughs> food to worry about, work to worry about, all of that other stuff. And, and still, in so many ways, this is still how we define success, it is by autonomy, the, the ability to be self-governing. I, I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it and, and have enough money to do it. That sounds pretty, pretty enticing, right? And in some ways, that's, that's the American dream. The freedom to do what I want to do. But then we put this little caveat at the end and we say, I, I want to be free to do what I want to do, just as long as it doesn't hurt anybody. You're free to do whatever it is that you want to do, just as, just as long as it doesn't hurt anyone. But the problem with that is that the people who have that kind of freedom to do what they want to do when they want to do it without anyone ever telling them what to do, the only people who have that kind of freedom are the people who can afford attorneys. Because eventually, you're going to end up hurting someone. <laughs> eventually, you're going to end up messing up. And so really, only the rich and powerful can live this way. And then the other problem is that those who are not rich or powerful, they always seem to suffer from this type of freedom. I mean, women have historically been the ones who have suffered from this type of freedom. And every right that a woman has now has had to be fought for. The same goes for minorities, immigrants, public service people. It's sort of this, this underbelly of the American dream. And look, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not picking on America. Like, this is just, this is a human problem. I mean, we see this in the opening pages of the Bible that Adam and Eve, the first human beings, they chose autonomy. <laughs> they, they chose to, to do what they wanted to do when they wanted to do it without anyone, God, telling them what to do. This is just a human thing. But also... <laughs> It's kind of on steroids here in America, right? I mean, if you remember our history, our nation was birthed because we said, we don't want to be subject to a king, right? We, we don't want to be subject to a crown. But here's where this comes into sharp contrast with Christianity. That if you want to do what you want to do, you will eventually hurt someone. And maybe, maybe that someone is you, that you end up hurting. Because here's the thing. Whatever you are now mastered by, whatever now has you in, in bondage, it probably first began as an expression of your freedom. And now it's an addiction. Now it's a debt. 
Now it's a relationship that you're stuck in and you can't seem to get out of. That you have been mastered by the very thing that was an expression of your misguided freedom. And now you, you can't do what you want to do, when you want to do it, with whom you want to do it with, because now you've been mastered by it. And you've betrayed that little safeguard caveat, as long as no one gets hurt. Well, you've been hurt. And you've hurt those who care about you. You've hurt those around you. And maybe you will. And some of you might know this from your own experience. Maybe you will end up hurting those who come after you. The next generation of people. And so here's the problem. Look, I, I, I know this is heavy. I, I know this is all heavy. And I know I keep talking about the problems and you just want the solutions. But sometimes you have to rightly understand the problem in order to get to the solution. So, so here's the problem, but it's kind of hopeful, I think. The problem is that we have a distorted view of freedom. That, that we have confused freedom with indulgence. We, we've gotten the two mixed up. We, we've confused freedom with indulgence. And, and to place this within the context of Christianity, there's two very distinct types of freedom. There's freedom from and freedom for. There's freedom from others, escaping away from others, and then there's freedom for, freedom for others, being able to do something for someone else. Freedom from others is that freedom that says, I get to do what I want to do when I want to do it with whom I want to do it, and nobody can tell me otherwise, just maybe as long as I don't hurt someone else. And we've already talked about the dangers of that. But this is well documented throughout the story of the Bible. Uh, I think of, of this little book that's called uh, the Book of Judges, and it's a fascinating uh, book. For, like, if you're not into reading your Bible, open up Judges, and it will give you nightmares. I mean, it's just a great book. Anyways, it's this time in the history of God's people, the nation of Israel, where they've gone out of Egypt, and they've wandered in the wilderness, and, and now they've made it to this, like, promised land. They're home now. But they don't have a king. It's sort of like this commonwealth type situation. There's no king. There's no guiding moral authority. And so it says, like the refrain throughout the book of Judges is, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And you know what happened? It was a hot mess inside a dumpster fire on the side of a train wreck. I mean, it was just terrible, terrible, terrible. And so God says, okay, well, I'll give you a king. And King Saul comes, and he's awful. And then King David comes, and he's, he's okay. I mean, he has the interest of his people, like, at the forefront of his mind, until he lets this autonomy get to him. Until he, he lets the sense of power kind of get to his head and he ends up taking advantage of women and ends up killing some of his best friends. And so God says, okay, 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 okay. Look, I'm going to let you be free, but this time instead of using your freedom to escape away from others, what if you were to use your freedom for others. And there's a world of difference there, right? I think of, of freedom for others as, as kind of like this. If you've ever uh, had to practice something, maybe like a musical instrument, you know, you have to have the discipline to sit down day after day after day and practice that. And it seems like you're not very free. <laughs> but after you do it, 
day after day after day, then you realize that you're free to play classics, Beethoven, Van Halen, whatever it might be, right? It seems like a limitation of your freedom at first, but in the end, you find that you're actually free to do more than you ever could before. And so this is the message of the New Testament. I mean, all throughout the New Testament, it says, hey, look, good news, you're, you're free. You're set free from death. You're set free from sin. You're set free from the grave. You're set free from the 609 of the 613 laws in the Old Testament. I mean, this is like freshman year of college on spring break. You're free. But how are you going to use that freedom? And so here's what the Apostle Paul says in Galatians chapter 5. And, and this is just so powerful. He says, you are called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Woo, good news. But this isn't like freshman year of college freedom. This isn't like first time driving the car without a parent beside you freedom. This isn't freedom from, this is freedom for. Look what he says next. You are called to freedom, brothers and sisters, only don't let this freedom be an opportunity to indulge your selfish impulses, but serve each other through love. In other words, you're free. <laughs> And you don't have to. You don't, you don't have to obey all of these commandments. You get to. You don't, you don't have to do all of these things, but now you get to. You actually have an opportunity now that you're free. You have an opportunity to serve each other. To, to look for ways to serve one another. Look for ways to love one another. Not because you have to, but because you get to. Because of the Holy Spirit working in your life, because of what Christ has done for you, now you get to show that same love and compassion and grace to someone else. You see, as Christians, we're, we're called to freedom. But, but our freedom isn't, isn't an excuse or, or a license to do whatever it is that we please. Freedom is not like a permission slip. What Paul talks about here, freedom is it's actually kind of an obligation, Look what he says. He goes on. Verse 14. He says, all of the law has been fulfilled in this single commandment, the single statement. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour each other, be careful that you don't get eaten up by each other. I say be guided by the spirit and you won't carry out your selfish desires. You're free. Love your neighbor as yourself. And don't bite and devour each other. It sounds kind of strange, right? But, but if I could just summarize what Paul is saying here. He's saying, look, if you serve only yourself, then eventually you will be all by yourself. If you only care about you, then eventually it's only going to be you. No one else will be around you. You see... God created us with autonomy. But you were not made for autonomy. You were made for community. And there's a big difference there. Because when you decide to, to serve someone else, when you decide to use your freedom to help someone else, then you end up breaking that food chain that always has to have you at the top. It's you quitting the game of king of the hill, forfeiting your own little dirt pile. Because for, for Paul and for Jesus, 
What he's asking us to do is, is trade in our little pile of dirt for the kingdom of heaven. To, to trade in what we think that, we, that we're so proud of, what we have control over. What Jesus is asking is, surrender that. Let, lay that down. And instead, come into my kingdom. And so look what happens next. Paul begins to, to contrast these two different kingdoms. Your little autonomy, the, the king of the hill, and your, your selfish desires, and the kingdom of heaven. Or, or the way of the spirit, as Paul talks about it. And, and he, he puts these kind of two lists together, and it's just fascinating. He says this, verse 17. A person's selfish desires are set against the spirit. And the spirit is set against one's selfish desires. They're in conflict. They're opposed to each other. So you shouldn't do whatever you want to do. There it is. But if you are being led by the spirit, you aren't under the law. The actions that are produced by selfish motives are obvious, he says, since they include sexual immorality, moral corruption, doing whatever feels good, idolatry, drug use, and casting spells. That's a weird one. Hate, fighting, obsession, losing your temper, competitive opposition, conflict, selfishness, group rivalry, jealousy, drunkenness, partying, and other things like that. I warn you, as I have already warned you, that those who do these kinds of things won't inherit the kingdom of God. Okay, so that's one list. But, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And there is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the self with its passions and desires. So did you, did you notice there the, the contrast between these two lists, your, your selfish desires and the way of the spirit? It's not just divided between right and wrong or, or, or good and bad, but they're divided between selfish and selfless, between autonomy and community between indulgence and resistance. And so, so follow Paul's train of thought here. He says, you're free. <laughs> Woohoo. Good, good news. You're, you're free, but it's not freedom to do whatever you want, whenever you want to do it with whomever you want, just as long as nobody gets hurt. No, you're free to do whatever you want, whenever you want with whomever you want, just as long as you help someone. Not as long as you don't hurt somebody. No, no, no. Paul says, I'm, I'm taking it a step further. Just as long as you help someone. You're, you're free to help someone. Because you now belong to Christ Jesus. And then he ends by saying this. He says, if we live by the Spirit, let's follow the Spirit. Let's not become arrogant, make each other angry, or be jealous of each other. It says... You were not made for autonomy. You were made for community. And this, this changes everything. That, that if we live by the spirit, that, that, means, that means the way that we live, our everyday patterns, habits of our daily lives are totally different. The way that we speak, the way that we talk to each other, the, the way that we spend our money, the way that we serve, the way that we look out for each other, the way that we view each other is not just as individuals, but we are a family now. 
and family looks out for the interest of the others. And it's not because you have to, but it's because you now get to. Because Jesus has set you free from this push and pull, this little game of, of king of the hill, and Jesus has said, stop it, knock it off. I am your Lord now. <laughs> I am your king. And he's a king that we demanded that he prove his power and authority. That if you're really the king, then save yourself. If you're really the king, then, then defend yourself. And yet, the whole time, he was silent. As we demanded proof for his kingship, mocked him, beat him, hung him up on a cross to die, silent. And I think that his silence interrupted our view of kingship. And he invited us into a much more gentle kind of kingdom, a, a kingdom that always puts others first. It's an others first kind of kingdom, dying so that we might live, dying, giving up his life so that we might have eternal life, emptying himself of everything so that we might be full. That's the kind of king that we have. Don't you want to follow that? Or would you rather keep fighting over your little pitiful dirt hill? It's a question that we all have to ask. Are we going to let Jesus be our king? And our freedom might look a little bit different. Or... Are we going to hold on to our own kingdom? But I think that we all know that if we do that, we're never really free. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are our king. A king who came not with fanfare, and trumpets and all of that. But a king who was spoken of for generations and generations to prepare the way for. And so, God, I, I pray that our hearts would be prepared for you coming into them. And Jesus, that, that you would reign on the throne of our hearts, that you would bring your peace and your power that you would bring your love and your mercy, your glory, your honor, your justice. God, that we would look to you and your ways and see the type of kingdom that you built here with us right now and the type of kingdom that you call us towards, an others-first kind of kingdom Holy Spirit, give us uh, the power, the, the ability, the wisdom, the insight to be heirs of that kingdom, <laughs> to be good workers, stewards, good citizens of that heavenly kind of kingdom that we would look out for the interest of one another. God, that we would fulfill all the law, all that you ever require of us. 
God, that you would help us to love our neighbor and not just ourselves. I pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.